0: Well, another edition of Persons of Interest to kick off 2020. And my guest this time is one of my favorite follows on Twitter because uh, as being a baseball fan, a sports fan, he covers the game of baseball in a pretty unique way. And I also appreciate the fact that he actually has a vote as it comes to the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, My guest is Ryan Fagan, writer of The Sporting News. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me, man. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Derek, man. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited for the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were talking off air that, uh, You actually had a conversation with uh, one of the teachers in the school district where I work, Joel Adam, who was the teacher, P.E. teacher and a longtime Holt, Winslow Holt baseball coach and softball coach, actually coached some basketball as well, uh, talking about some of the stories about uh, some of those baseball studs that he's has come through. And you've actually, you know, going back into before you got to the cover, before you got to the sporting news, actually had the chance to write and cover uh, and talk to Joel on a number of different occasions.
1: Yeah, my first job out of undergrad was uh, working for the suburban journals, papers of St. Charles County. Um, and that's where I cut my teeth. I covered high school sports on every level. I think the first event I ever covered was Duchenne versus Troy softball out at McNair ballpark. And the final score of that game wound up being like 27 to three. And I was thinking, <laughs> what am I doing with myself here? <laughs> But, uh, you know, wound up staying there, covered, that's when the Riverside Rascals, the minor league baseball team, uh, the Frontier League team started. So, did a lot of the minor league sports, did a lot of high school stuff, and you know, wound up, you know, back then, there was only one Wentzville high school, so we just called it Wentzville, yeah. not Holt. But, yeah, Joel was there, and, you know, he had, uh, I think Wes Detweiler was there when I was there, Ross's older brother, and then Ross Detweiler obviously came through to Melville. Um when I got to Sporting News, um, that was when Tim Melville was uh, coming up and was a high draft pick. I remember doing a feature story on Tim for the Sporting News magazine, which was pretty cool because I kind of got to connect my hometown Uh, my hometown County to my new job with the national publication. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of deep roots in that St. Charles County area.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know it it went that deep for you, but that's cool to hear. Uh, So I I know you recently just moved back to the St. Louis area. So welcome back home. I guess, I guess uh, you, you mentioned undergrad, where did you go to college and where did you sort of find your interest in, in journalism and being a sports writer?
1: Oh, I, I grew up in I grew up in St. Charles actually went to St. Charles High. Okay, um, graduated from there in '94, which seems like a long time <laughs> ago. Um, but so you know, I, I grew up. We re- we had the the Post Dispatch, and you know, Rick Hummel was the Cardinals beat writer back yep. then. And I just thought he had the coolest job in the world because he was in the ballpark every day. And you know, I read everything that the paper wrote about the Cardinals. Um, Just devoured it. And that was kind of always in the back of my mind. Yeah, that'd be really, really cool. Um, So I went to undergrad at Southwest Baptist University, which is up in Bolivar, about a half hour north of Springfield. Um, Wrote on the little school paper there, although there's nothing that we produced there that I'm super proud of. You know, let's bury some of that stuff in the archives. That's fine with me. Um, But, you know, and I just uh, always kind of had that in my mind. And then I did a couple of internships. I graduated um college in ninety eight and there was a little advertisement in the journal and i still I still have it. It was maybe two inches long that just basically said sports writer wanted you know apply here and I did and I got the job and that started me on the path
0: How about that so so you've you've pretty much been you stuck with it for a while you once since since uh undergrad and and that's to set your career going. And after the suburban journals, what was the progression from that point on?
1: Well, there was a, there was some frustration at the journals. And even though I love the job, I love the guys I worked with. Sure, um, you, I tried to get onto bigger papers in different places, and and if I'm being honest, I couldn't get anybody to answer. You know, I I, I got one guy to uh, one paper to answer, and it was in Anaconda, Montana.
0: I've never even heard of that.
1: <laughs> for, well, I don't think anyone has. And what what made me laugh was the Anaconda high school mascot was the Copperhead. So they were the Anaconda Copperheads. <laughs> and I thought, Well, that's odd. Yeah. So I, so I talked to the guy and actually, you know, he he said, We wanna hire you. Let's get let's make this happen and it kinda hit me that I would be moving to Montana where it snows a ton in October and I had this little car that wasn't going to handle the snow. And I kind of thought, you know, I had a second thought and I was like, man, maybe that's, maybe that's not the greatest thing for me to do right now. So I passed on that. Um, and, you know, again, if I'm being honest, even though I love the job and I wanted to go somewhere else, I really loved covering the Rascals, the Frontier League baseball team, because mm-hmm. I would go on the road with them. So I, at least three years, I said to myself, okay, one more summer, one more summer of baseball, and then I'm going to do something about it. You know, and that happened, like I said, at least three times. I wound up being at the Journal for five years, couldn't get anything else, so I decided to go to grad school. And I went to Mizzou, to the J school. And I don't know if this is the greatest way to approach it, but I didn't go to, to J school at Mizzou to get a degree. I went there to get a job. Yeah. Right, I went there to make contacts, and so a year and a half into the program, a job opened up at Sporting News for an assistant editor, basically lowest editor position that they had. And one of the students, I was a graduate teaching assistant uh, at the Missourian, basically the assistant sports editor for for the um, for the Missourian. And one of my former students had been an intern at Sporting News and gotten hired. And they needed somebody quick, and uh, Sean Reed was his name, and Sean was like, hey, I know a guy. So they were like, bring him in, and I interviewed and got that job and just started at that lowest level and said, I will do anything that you ask me to do, and things just kind of moved on from there.
0: Wow. So you, yeah, that's, that's interesting to me because journalism since the 90s has changed so much. Um, yeah. you know, TV, radio, print—you name it—they've all changed mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, with you know the popularity, obviously, of the internet and online, and and how that sort of shaped how we consume uh content and news. But the sporting news itself has undergone so many of those changes as well. I mean, being a—I yeah. mean, w- was w- what was one of the uh you know mainstays here just locally? Like it was a St. Louis. And, and national publication, and now being an online sort of uh, entity, has that sort of how how has that changed how you have worked there for so long?
1: I've I have done everything at Sporting News and about every capacity. I mean when I when I was hired, one of my first jobs on the magazine was back reading, uh, basically fact checking and whatnot the NASCAR pages, and I knew nothing about NASCAR, nothing. And I would back, so I had to like learn NASCAR and our NASCAR writer, Lee Spencer, at the time she was as plugged in as anyone. So she would have these little nuggets and I'm trying to search the internet to back check. And I'm just like, I have no idea. <laughs> because she's the one reporting these things. Sure. legit first breaking news reporting. So a lot of times we just have to go back to her and say, okay, well, you know, we trust you on this because she had earned that trust, and you know, it was always right. But so I did that, I did college football, um, back reads. I remember one time Matt Hayes, who was a phenomenal writer who was doing stuff at Bleacher Report now, he wrote something about a JUCO transfer, I think, to Tennessee, who had showed that he was serious because he had cut his hair over the summer, and that was his like physical manifestation manifestation of his transformation so i called his juco coach i asked hey did he really cut his hair this summer and kind of stuff like that but (laughs) you know it was just this random thing and i haven't thought about that in a long long time which just makes me laugh now Um, but it was just this learning on the job of the importance of being accurate the importance of of having people double check your work i know i'm still as a writer now i'm very thankful when somebody says hey you know, I don't think this is right. Let, let's figure it out, you know, because it's good to have that second set of eyes, at least on it. And I think that gets lost a lot in today's journalism because it's let's get it out as quick as possible. We'll deal with the ramifications later. But having that background and the importance of things being accurate um, in the first several years at Sporting News, that, you know, that really benefits me still to this day.
0: You, you mentioned the on the job part of it and, you know, things like, you know, checking and, and uh, make sure you do be accurate first before, uh, you know, having everything locked in. How much of that you attribute to things you learn in college or at Mizzou versus it really truly being on the job? Like, are there are there parts of it that, you know, man, I, this is not an experience I expected based on what I learned in college. This is I'm okay, I didn't know that's how it's going to be. You attribute some of that to really truly on the job experience?
1: Well, I think a lot of that early the early time at Sporting News was because again, cuz growing up in St. Louis in the St. Louis area, I had a subscription to the Sporting News when I was a kid. I had for for many years. Growing up, I read it, I read the Sporting News, and I read the, the Post-Dispatch, and those were the two things that I really um, voraciously consumed. And So to have the job as Sporting News and to see my name in the masthead and to know that even though the articles that I back-read, in fact, I didn't have my name on it, there was that responsibility, there was that weight to uphold the standards that had been in a magazine that has, had existed since 1886. Yeah. So there was a lot of gravity to that. So that, as much as anything, um, put that weight in my mind on being correct and living up to those standards. And I think it's one thing to, to read. And another thing I love to do as a kid in, in the newspaper or magazines or whatever, I love to find errors because that made me feel good. And I don't know why it did. And I love to find like little mistakes. And then conversely, when I got to Sporting News and I realized that there were actually people who were responsible for those mistakes that I loved finding as a kid, I never wanted to be the cause of those mistakes. (laughs) So I think that's just, you know, that's an odd way maybe to answer your question. But the the on-the-job part of it put that weight and that gravity on the importance of the fact-checking and being accurate and, and these types of things that you don't really get when you're not responsible for it, when you're just talking about it, but when you're legitimately responsible for these mistakes and um, avoiding mistakes. I think that was kind of the thing that really hit me in those first couple years you know, on, at, the, at the suburban journals, but especially um, at Sporting News.
0: When you see what's happening with journalism, you know, with things like newspapers, how they're sort of the way the trends are going and online and how some of the publications are you know, closing up shop or doing diff- different things or pivoting to video, whatever it is. Do you ever get a little nervous about what it is? You just sort of, you know what, I'm in a good place. If I do quality work, I'll be all right. How has how, that sort of been to manage from a professional standpoint?
1: Well, I mean, it is slightly terrifying at times. You know, I'm not going to lie. There's, I know, you know, I've been lucky enough to be at Sporting News. I got hired at Sporting News in October of 2005. So I've been there a long time now. And I think a lot of it was because um, my first idea when I got there at Sporting News was I was going to do anything anyone asked. Anytime there was anything that was, that was put up, I volunteered. I said, I'll do that even if I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, so I always tried to be the most versatile person in the room. And I think that helped through a lot of years, even though I say that there are a lot of great journalists that I knew at the time working with the sporting news um, that were laid off and it had nothing to do with their abilities, their skill levels. You know, we've been sold I think three or four times, just since I was at Sporting News. Uh, we're owned now by The Zone, which does the, um, which, to be honest with you, The Zone the has the company um, on as firm a footing as it has been in the almost 15 years that I've been there. And I feel as good about the company's future as I have at any point, which is nice. You know, there's no doubt about mm-hmm. that. Um, but it's still always constantly just uh, an effort. You do what you can. You make yourself valuable and you put yourself in a position that if layoffs when layoffs are going to come, they say, "Okay, well, this is a person that we don't want to do without yeah. and sometimes that has been why I have stayed on, and sometimes quite honestly, because I made less money than someone who'd been there for ten years longer than yeah. I had, and they really just looked at the at the numbers and sure you know made the decisions that way so you know, even though that wasn't right, I wasn't a better journalist than the people maybe that lost their jobs. But you know, sometimes it's a bottom line. It's a bottom line. Too often, it's a bottom line world, and that's how decisions get made. Yeah,
0: a business. That's that's you know, yeah. some some decisions get made based on that. So that's one of the realities. So I don't know if you remember the, the first time we met. Actually, I was working at the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, yep. uh, we were hosting. I can't remember. If it was the twenty. I think it was twenty. 16 we're hosting ncaa tournament in st louis uh i think i'm almost cer- certain it was the year because northern iowa uh had a game where they came back and wanted a half court shot and then they had a game where they had a melt- meltdown i remember watching that game in the back in the media room where we were uh doing post-game quotes and all that jazz um you've covered college basketball that's my that's my way of bringing up you've covered college basketball not just baseball yeah. um you talked about the NASCAR. So you've sort of had been, been able to sort of see a bunch of different things. Is there any one uh, sporting event or, you know, something you've covered that stands out uh, in your career now that is something that's like, wow, that was pretty cool. Or, or, or that was quite a, quite an event to cover.
1: Man, that, that's a loaded
0: question. So that's a loaded, that I know, is, I know.
1: <laughs> that is, that is an area I have been incredibly lucky and blessed in my career. I mean, I was there, I was sitting courtside when UMBC beat Virginia.
0: Oh, okay. Um, That's awesome.
1: Yes, I was there in Cleveland in the Cubs locker room after they ended the 108-year drought. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Bill Murray pour champagne all over Theo Epstein. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I saw Murray standing there talking to Ryan Sandberg outside the clubhouse and Ryan Sandberg just looking completely starstruck. You know, and I, I snapped a picture of that. It's one of my favorite pictures of all time. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of things. I, as far as the, the um, NCAA tournament, you know, I've actually put it together. Um, I've been kind of, uh, let's just say it this way. There's a, there's a thing called the Fagan Jinx. Uh-oh. That my friends have not long known about. And they basically fill out their NCAA tournament brackets based on where I'm going to be. Oh boy. Because upsets have a way of happening, right? So I've seen I was there for the 16 seed Virginia to lose. I've seen two 15 seeds win. There've only been what four of six of them in history. And you said see- <laughs> and I've seen two of them. We might be breaking right? some news Lehi, here. When Lehigh beat Duke and when Middle Tennessee beat Beat um, Michigan State. So I've seen a lot of these things, and it's kind of crazy how many double-digit seed teams I've seen win these first their first games. I was there when Southern almost beat Gonzaga when oh. they had Kelly Olynyk, yeah. And it was the game was tied with like two minutes left, sixteen over a one, a one. So yeah, i i I've, I've seen a lot of crazy things. Um, I've been there um to see I was there when the first World Series I covered pinching game was the Red Sox beating the Rockies in 07. so I've seen a lot of stuff and I've thought about trying to rank all of these things but to be quite honest with you, I haven't done it yet because it, it feels impossible every time I sit down to try to to try to do any of that stuff
0: make it make for one heck of a book though
1: it would man I should ha, I should have I should. Publish a Fagan Jinx and memoir, something <laughs> like that. Yeah.
0: Notes itself before March gets here. Find out if Ryan will be assigned <laughs> well, to I, me think
1: it's <laughs> a, I think it's actually the first round is in St. Louis this year. I
0: there is a the first round, so yes, there is a first second round here in St. Louis. Yeah, so I'll,
1: I'm sure I will be there. So yeah, mark your mark <laughs> your brackets accordingly. So,
0: Nice, nice. Uh, so, one of the things I mentioned at the outset before we got started, you have the distinct honor of being a Hall of Fame voter for Major League Baseball. Yeah. Talk about that. Like, is it, how does that even happen? Like, when do you, when do you find out, wow, I'm, I'm going to be able to have some input on this the first year? And, and what's that process like? I, I'm always curious because, you hear from other writers and they'll, they'll share on Twitter. Like I know you published your, your ballot on um, the Sporting News article about your ballot uh, and how you explain it. That was recently put out, I believe on the 31st. Um, yeah. Talk about just from your standpoint, you know, the, the type of uh, work that goes in because you, you hear writers or other people that say, I'm doing this because this guy finally deserves it or, you know, the steroid error, you know, people take different things into consideration. For you, when you fill out a hall of fame ballot on any given year, um, how much work and detail goes into it for you?
1: There's there's a lot. I'm not going to lie. And we'll start here with how, how I got the vote. If you're a member of the baseball writers association Mm -hmm. for 10 years, you get a hall of fame vote. Right. And when I started Sporting News, they gave me a BBWAA card okay. my second year there. And they didn't even, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but they didn't even tell me I was getting one. One of our guys, I think it was Bob Hilly, who was the W editor at the time and one of the best journalists I've ever been around. He walked up to my desk and said, Here you go. And I looked at it and I was like, Is that a BBWAA card? And he said, "Yep." And I was just like, "You've got to be kidding me! This is the coolest thing ever." Um, and at the time, I was writing a little bit of baseball, but not a ton. But in the years since then, you know, I've I've worked my way up the ladder at Sporting News to be. Um, I, I've done a little bit of everything. I've covered yeah, NBA playoff games. I've covered um, a lot of college football in the past. I've done a lot of things, but um, being around baseball and being a baseball writer was always a goal, and part of that goal was, at some point, I'd love to have a Hall of Fame vote. Um, and it's 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 a lot. And I'm not going to lie, the, the first couple of years, the last couple of years, I didn't have a vote. Leading up to that 10 year mark, I started to worry about it a little bit because there's a lot that goes into it, and you know, the, the, the steroid era guys. I honestly didn't know what I was going to do, whether I was going to vote for Bonds and Clemens and the like, or whether I was going to say, no, you can't get in if you've been associated. Um, and that kept me up nights. Nice. I'm not going to lie. Because it's, again, you know, I talk about the gravity of, of being accurate when you're when you're writing things and you're saying things factually for, for the magazine. Really, I mean, anything we do, anything we publish – But the gravity of having a Hall of Fame ballot was very intense, and it was kind of overwhelming the first year or two. And it still feels like a great honor. Um, But because I've had time and I did practice ballots the last couple of years before, even though I never published them, I just kind of wanted to do it for myself to um, get used to what was going to happen to the decisions I would have to make and the logic behind it. And one of the things I've tried to do every year is you know, a lot of people will write like, these are the 10 people I voted for. These are the six people I voted for whatever. And they'll give like short little snippets. I try to give the longest ballot explanation out there. You know, the last couple of years, the columns have been a right around 6,000 words, which that's a lot, yeah. you know, but I try to be, I think it's important. I think it's super important for something like this to be as transparent with our thought processes as possible. And if there are guys that I'm waffling on, I'll say that. You know, I I voted for Bobby Abreu this year. Even though I don't know Bobby Abreu is a Cooperstown um, inevitability. I don't know that he's going to wind there. But here's something I have learned, and I feel very strongly about this. It's too easy on a crowded ballot for guys to fall off the ballot in their first year and you fall off the ballot if you don't get 5% of the vote, right? Well, there are guys that belong in that conversation for longer than one year but get booted off because of a crowded ballot. Ted Simmons, who was elected by the Modern Era Committee just last month right. in December, was 5%ed the one time he was on a BWAA ballot because the ballot was so stacked. But he was a Hall of Famer. It's just because of the 10-vote limit that it- some guys get knocked off when they shouldn't be. Yeah. So I've tried to reserve for players I feel belong in the conversation. I will vote for them, even if they don't necessarily fit the top 10 Cooperstown resumes of that year for me. So that's the reason I voted for Bobby Abreu this year. I voted for Johan Santana um, a couple of years ago. I voted for Scott Rowland and I know that this year Scott Rowland and then and the baseball uh, in the tracker is up around 45%. But at the time I voted for him that first year, it was a really crowded ballot, and he was down in the 6 7% range. I wanted to make sure that he stayed on because I felt there was value in a conversation about Scott Rowland and Cooperstown. And I feel like part, partly because I voted for him, he made that 5%, and now he's up near 50%. Because, And that – Again, that kind of makes that validates my reasoning behind keeping people around. And that's one of the, the things that I've tried to do and I will do in the future is vote for guys who are marginal because there's at least value in keeping them in the conversation.
0: Yeah, it it's, it's always seems like a such a tough duty because I think there always be the the segment that will say, well, how much does this guy know about the game? You know, why is he vote this and that? And I don't think there's any debating. I mean, the majority of writers, you know, you're, you're talking about baseball writers association members that typically are beat writers. These are not just any run of the mill writers, you know, just writing about baseball, significant guys that know the game that are around the game, that see it a lot. So, but I think the challenge is when you start like the Ted Simmons conversation, I think, is one. And people always said, you know, this guy, finally he got in. Well, and you just you just summed it up. And I, what I was going to say, was it a matter of uh, right guy, wrong time as he just the ballot gets get stacked and stacked, and the timing of it throws and throws him off. Um, it's always it's always going to be one of those things to debate uh, with Hall of Fame. Just like debating uh n c a a tournament you know uh bubble teams and who gets left out and in and college football playoff who should be in who should be out? It's one of those great things about sports because if we don't have those debates, then you know what else is there, and just expanding the field or you know doing whatever is an easy solution, but there always will be that well you left out this person, well, you left out that person so right. um, I, I,
1: yeah and there's there's there, there's there's value in that that's part of the fun of being. Uh, a sports journalist or a baseball writer. And you know, I did the, the NCAA tournament bracket projections for sporting news for, I did them for a decade. This is the first year I won't have done any of them um, in, in the last, I think 10 or 11 years, something like that. So, yeah, I've, I've, um, I've heard a lot from fan bases when I leave their team out. Um, I've heard a lot from um, fan bases when I don't vote for their player. I'll say this right now. Atlanta Braves fans are not very happy with me because I didn't have Andrew Jones on my ballot. Um, So there's, but you know what the passion that's there, the passion that's behind the anger, you know, maybe that doesn't manifest itself in the best way on Twitter or on Facebook or on email, but the passion that these these fans have, that's what I do love. And I try to remind myself that yes, they're mad. They're saying things about me. They probably shouldn't say, And they probably wouldn't say to my face, but it's because they love this sport, this player, this game so much. And, you know, that's kind of why we are in this industry that we are, because we had that same kind of passion and love for a sport and this event and this competition. So I try to always very much temper my responses and not get into Tangential conversations that are not going to be beneficial to anybody
0: good for you (laughs) There's so much of that nowadays. It's hard. Yeah,
1: it is hard But I try to be very mindful of that
0: Yeah, we could use a whole lot more of that in 2020 and just taking a step back and realizing okay I get it They're angry, and, and and on the other end, you know, hey, we don't all need to be keyboard warriors and you know we can we can tweet at people just like we would talk to them when we see them in person so um my last question for you and this goes back to the state of the you know industry kind of thing the sporting news has sort of been one of those transgenerational publications um going back to when it was in print and, and as an online uh entity when you see places like the athletic pop-up and, you know, people that are investing money to get these other entities off the ground and going and, and writers, you know, leaving, you know, established newspapers or whatever it is. And in some cases, not their choice. Sometimes in some cases they were let go and they, they found a lifeline with a place like the athletic and things like that. Um, What are your thoughts on, how those business models and if they are sustainable, like, the Athletic, I think, is it, it seems to be working. Um, right, they have a different sort of, of strategy there with the subscriptions and and you know not heavy with the advertising versus you know places like our local newspaper here, the St. Louis Post Dispatch, and there is a paywall on the website and they really want people to subscribe still to the paper and subscribe online. They've got different tiers and you know you get this kind of writing f- for this and certain things behind the paywall. All, all those kind of things there, um, just your your thoughts on that, because it seems like I feel if we're not careful be, that there could just sort of be this thing of what happens when it goes away, because we have to have information. I'm not just talking sports in this case. We really need journalism and people that are saying, oh, I, I, I click on it and read it, but I can't or too many ads, you know. I don't, I don't sometimes think that people understand that it is a business and it is a career for people like yourself. And, you know, it's, it's, I get it. It's not, you know, the, the business down the street that is perf- offering a service, but that's what you guys are doing. It's a service. You're reporting right. for us. Do you, I'm, I'm going long winded here and trying to, you know, figure out the perfect way of answer, asking this question, but I just, I just feel like some people just don't recognize because in the old days you know you could just click on it and read it or the newspaper was a quarter or 25 cents and now when you say you know subscribe to get it people don't seem as willing to to do it now the sport news has got a different setup there but um, just the state of journalism as a whole you know I don't know if most people are really sort of adopting to what it's becoming I guess right Well, here's my my first thought is something you mentioned
1: about journalism the importance journalism is is so important it's it's it was important in the 1800s it was important in the early 1900s it's as important now it is as it ever has been um in an era where companies and governments and whatever they're putting out their own biased view of things. They're putting their spin on it. Um, It's so important to have independent journalists verifying what they've said. It's important to have independent journalists doing research and digging to, to expose different things. And again, this is not so much Sports journalism, right, right. This journalism, news journalism, it's it's so important. It's as important, maybe more important than ever. My hope to tie it back to sports, okay. My hope is that the athletic succeeds, thrives, becomes a stalwart even more so than it has been, because on one hand, I know a lot of great journalists that are there that that are friends of mine that they love the experience and they said it's been great. And I love what the athletic does, right? The content that they produce, the stories they produce, the way they produce them is great. The writers, the editors, they've done a phenomenal job. So I want them to keep their jobs. The other part of it to me when it comes to the athletic is I'm hoping that sites like The Athletic and other places, maybe outside the sports journalism, help change the mindset of the public. And they understand that to get the quality, there has to be some sort of support system for The Athletic it's subscriptions right you pay the subscription and sometimes you can get the 50 percent off they just had a lot of those Mm -hmm. whatever you pay for it the fact is that you're paying for it and you recognize the value that you as the consumer are getting for the information and the stories that they're telling and so the problem with what happened with the internet when it first came to newspapers and whatnot, is that everything was free. So that's what people expected. They expected it to be free. And because it was free for so long and because attempts to monetize it were almost always clunky, were never easy, they made it more complicated. People just said, okay, well, there are enough free things out there that we're not going to pay for it. But I'm hoping, and maybe this is a pipe dream, but I'm hoping that the athletic is part of the tide, uh, part of the thing that turns that tide, that people understand, yes, we need these things out there, and it's worth supporting them with $20 a year, $40 a year, whatever. I don't know how that works exactly. I don't know what the the tipping point is, like how much is too much. I know now – even with different publications, you know, I subscribe to several different sites online, but you know, it's hard to subscribe to the Washington post and the LA times and the, and the New York times and all of these different places. Right. Cause then you feel like you're spending a hundred dollars a month, $200 a month. And I don't have $200 a month. So I don't know what that, like I said, that tipping point is, but I'm hoping that places like the athletic just show, the value in supporting good independent journalists and maybe at some point that's part of a small part of what turns the tide and the country and we all realize the value that, that the newspapers and magazines provide so that's my hope and again that's a long-winded explanation yeah. to answer to whatever your to your question as it was but that's kind of what kept coming into my mind as you were as you were talking
0: yeah. no 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 you you summed it up perfectly because as as you were going there i was like i guess the par- the parallel to me is the way television has changed like you, you yeah. talk about people cord cutting you know and you know netflix and hulu and it's it's another way we get content you know we instead of waiting for a tv show week you know every thursday night and to watch the next episode you know people just want to watch all 10 and in one day you know it's 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 a different way of getting content and it's a subscription there hey it's a subscription here so um no i i I feel the same i subscribe to a couple different ones myself so um again the ones i feel passionate about and they've got something interesting i want to read hey that's that's it. Right. And I, I get it. You can't subscribe to them all. I feel the same way. You find the ones that are for you and maybe you can rotate them on and off. So, um, yeah, yep. I, I hope, I hope I'm along the same lines of what you said that, you know, the mindset could get changed because, um, I, I understand. I think I sort of got it more after I left the Missouri Valley conference because I had developed a, a relationship with all the beat writers and what they did. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah. well, they're, they're, they don't have any, you know, ill will towards any coaches or administrators. They're just trying to report. And I get it. They Their means of reporting might be different and, and how they handle it. But now I look at it as an outsider because I don't work there anymore. And I'm like, OK, these guys are just trying to give me the viewpoint of what's going on. I can still form my own <laughs> opinion, but. Right. they're inside they can ask questions and that's where i'm like oh okay i get it so it it, it took something for me to happen and I, that was that was the aha for me is uh, of of uh journalism but again as someone that is a terrible writer i'm a, I'm a visual graphic design techie persons here so so i appreciate uh the effort that, that's a huge uh,
1: that's a huge part of the journalism era now that maybe wasn't 50 years ago but yeah. yeah that's those kind of skills are ones that, if I was looking back, I would have, I would have garnered those skills more than I have. Really, put it that way. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, for sure. Because I think the, the visual aspect of storytelling is is huge. You know, and that's one of the things that, um, that we did very well with Sporting News magazine when we still printed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that it just gets lost online so many times. Yeah, um, that really. It doesn't, you know, stories don't grab you as much when they don't have that, that first thing to kind of draw you in, but, you know, the visuals, that uh, the graphics or whatever. So, and, I mean, it, it's out there. It, it certainly can be. And you can do better stuff on the web. It just doesn't always happen
0: right. to that extent. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, people, you know, visuals grab people's attention. I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. You know cool. Well, sir, I really appreciate your time, man. This has been insightful and in me getting to dig into your, uh, your mind on a couple different things. I've always appreciated to get a viewpoint of folks on, on all these different topics. So uh, tell the folks how they can sort of follow your writing and follow you on social media to keep up with uh, what's going on with your, uh, your work.
1: Well, mostly I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. It's just my uh, name, at Ryan Fagan, it's F-A-G-A-N. Um, I have an Instagram account, but it's mostly just pictures of my little kid, my little 16-month-old girl because she's ridiculously adorable <laughs> right now. So, um, I, at some point, and I will do more baseball pictures now that I've moved back to St. Louis. That's part of the whole thing. It's been um, ballpark a lot more. Awesome. Um, so there will be a lot of that stuff as the season kicks off. But right now, it's mostly just pictures of my little girl. Uh, so again, yeah, SportingMews.com, we have... You know, we try to put out as much content as we can on a on a regular basis there. And so that, those are those are the best ways. And you know, If anybody always has ideas, you know, feel free to hit me my DMs are open my emails on the Twitter bio and I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, so, yeah.
0: Trip to spring training in your future?
1: It will be. Yeah. We haven't figured out which which side I'm going to yet, but I'll I'll be down there at some point.
0: Well sir, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks again.
1: It's been good, I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Eric.